Ladies and gentlemen of the congregation, welcome to another episode of the Motorsport Ministry, your home for all hot takes, news, and other things revolving around the racing world. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about AJ Allmendinger's return to the Cup Series, and we're going to be talking about the recent news that was reported that Kyle Busch will not be racing the Indy 500 with McLaren. Now, before we get into everything, I do want to mention a little bit about something something that's been going on in the racing community for about the past, you know, two to three days. It's not enough for me to want to warn an entire topic, like these two that I'm going to mention today, but it is something that I do want to mention. And that is, folks, if you really think that NASCAR is going after Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childress because they've been, you know, in their words, crapping on the next-gen car? I don't know what you're thinking. Because let's put some context here. Kevin Harvick made his comments at Darlington when he was still in the playoffs. So why would NASCAR wait till Talladega when he's already eliminated and he's let alone 16th in points, so he's last out of every single playoff driver, to then penalize him. Does that make any sense to you? Because I can tell you that doesn't make any sense to me. That's just something I want to put it out there, where it's like, if you're going to try to stir the pot, at least make it make sense. And let's be honest here, folks. If there's any team out there that we would have expected to be to be, you know, pushing the envelope and get caught basically cheating, it would be the 14th. You don't believe me? Look at 2018, for example, where Storehouse Racing and that 14 specifically got two wins encumbered that year. Not one, but two wins encumbered that year. And I think they also got caught one time in 2020 as well, but I'm not 100% sure. But I just wanted to say that. It's that if you're going to stir the pot, and try to say something that you know doesn't make any sense or is probably isn't true, at least make it make sense. But, got that out of the way, let's begin with our slate of topics. And our first one is going to be about AJ Allmendinger's return to the Cup Series. Now before we begin, I usually like to ask you guys a question. in some variation. And the question I'm going to ask for you guys today, I guess we'll call it, the question of the topic is, what is your favorite kind of story? It could be anything. It could be an origin story, or it could be a love story, it could be a comedy story. You know, it doesn't matter. What is your favorite kind of story? I could tell you what my favorite kind of story is, and in fact, I will. My favorite kind of story is the Rags to Riches story. And no, I'm not talking about the song by Tony Bennett. Even though that is a really great song, go check it out. But, you know, going a little bit off topic. If there is one driver that, in my opinion, represents a rags-to-riches story, it's A.J. Allmendinger. You don't believe me? Just listen for the next 5 to 10 minutes, and I'll explain why. For a driver who used to hate his job of racing in the Cup Series with JTG Doherty Racing not even that long ago, to now a driver back in the Cup Series, going full-time in 2023 with colleague in the 16 car, but now back in the Cup Series with a team that he's basically helped build 
in the aforementioned colleague racing. But let's take a look at AJ's NASCAR story and see this rags to riches story take place. We're going to start at the at the beginning of the 2014 season because I'm not going to go all the way back to the mid-2000s and then go all the way back to IndyCar. We're going to go from 2014 all the way until now. So, our story begins in the 2014 season where A.J. Allmendinger has won at Watkins Glen and he made the playoffs with JTG Doherty Racing. And yes, while he was eliminated in the first round, this being the first year of the knockout format of the playoffs, i.e. without stages and stage points, and yes, he still got knocked out in the first round, expected because he was in a JTG Doherty car, it's not like the season was all doom and gloom, maybe basically just fluked in and finished dead last in points. He still managed to finish top 13 in the standings, finishing 13th of points. And folks, this is ahead of guys like Greg Biffle, who was with Roush, at a time where Roush was, they weren't great, but they were still decent. I mean, 2014, Carl Edwards was winning races with them. So, he finished 13th of points, beating a Roush driver, Greg Biffle, and more impressively, beating Hendrick Motorsports driver, Casey Kane. Remember, Jimmy Johnson won, I believe, four or five races. Dale Jr. won four races. Jeff Gordon, I believe, won four or five races. This Casey Kane managed to beat Matt Kenseth, who, won, who was one of the better drivers in the field at, in the time, to win in Atlanta. Meanwhile, JTG Doherty and AJ Allmendinger still managed to finish ahead of two really competitive cars in the standings. And obviously, they finished ahead of Eric Amarola, who was driving for Petty at the time. But that's the 2014 season. So they have something to look forward to going into 2015. They were coming off a playoff appearance, coming off a win. The sky looked like the limit for JTG Doherty Racing. At the time, it was still a one-card team. So, I will say, though, it, the sky was definitely the limit. And in fact, they reached nowhere close to that limit, really, for, for the rest of his career. 2015 through 2017, and really through 2018, but we'll talk about 2018 separately, really was nothing of note. And honestly, it was mostly mired in just a lot of complaining. I mean, you could tell that A.J. Allmendinger was not happy during this time span. He was complaining. You could hear it in the in-car radios. Just go back at Radioactives from 2015 to 2017. Just Did you hear anything positive from the 47 camp? when they were on. However, it wasn't all doom and gloom because while, you know, he never made the playoffs in any of these years, he never even won in any of these years, he was still fairly solid, at least in the year 2016. He had nine top tens, a 17.8 average finish, which, by the way, was his only average finish that was under the 20th position from 2015 to 2018, and he still finished 19th of points. So, while not a great year, a fairly solid one by JTG Doherty standards. Then we move on to 2018, his final full-time season up to date, and his final full-time season with JTG Doherty Racing. How was his send-off season, or what it looked like what to be his send-off season at the time, how did it look, on paper at least? Well, he finished 22nd in points, had a 21.8 average finish, and you can really tell that it was about time for a change for both driver and team. And really, the 2018 season was around the time where AJ started making comments that, you know, talking about how he hated his job. Now, 
Imagine a Cup Series driver coming out and saying that he hated his job. I'm not talking about after a wreck at a super speedway. I'm not talking about after getting dumped at a short track. I'm talking about after the entirety of the season, the entire 36 race calendar, you have a driver in the middle of that going out and saying that he hated his job. Truex didn't make the playoffs this year. He's had a fairly disappointing season. He hasn't come out and said he hated his job. And I'm not trying to criticize A.J. Allmendinger by saying this. I'm just saying that's how bad it was during that time span. So, after 2018, A.J. was out of the Cup Series at least full-time. So, how do we get from a driver who basically hated his job to today? Well, we have to look at 2019 through this year. So, in 2019 and 2020, I feel we could kind of put these years together. Because those that time he was running part-time for Colleg Racing in the Xfinity Series. And around this time, Colleg really wasn't anything of note. They weren't the powerhouse that they are today in the Xfinity Series. I don't even think they've won a race at that time yet. At least not until they, I believe they won their first race in 2019 at Daytona with Ross Chastain. And even then, Chastain was part-time at the time. But, to stay focused on A.J. Allmendinger, I'd say he had a fairly decent part-time stint. I mean, in just 16 starts, he managed, from 2019 to 2020, he managed to win three races and lead over, and lead 297 laps. So, he was starting to get back in the rhythm of things, especially when it came to winning. And he wasn't just winning at road courses. I believe it was the 2020 season where he won at Atlanta. And this is Atlanta before they turned it to a super speedway. So, he won at a mile and a half just straight up in a collie car. So it made pretty much all the sense in the world that was announced in 2021 he would be going full-time in Xfinity with Colley. And really, before I begin reading the stats, even before the 2021 season, you could see that AJ was starting to look, look happy again. He still wanted to race. He didn't want to give up on racing. But I, but I think scaling back to a part-time Xfinity set was just the right move for him. It allowed him to still get his foot in racing, still get it, you know, still get behind the wheel of a race car, but not to the point of overexhaustion to where, you know, I mean, remember, the year prior, he was saying he hated his job. You're not going to go from one full-time stint to another, even if it's from Cup to Xfinity. You're just not going to do that if you're not in the right mindset. But, coming back to 2021, how did he do in his first full-time season with Colley? Well, he did great. In fact, me saying that he did great was an understatement. 5 wins, 18 top 5s, 22 top 10s, 422 laps led, a 9.2 average finish, making the final 4, winning the regular season championship, and finishing 4th in points, like I said, making the final 4. But most importantly, like I mentioned before, he looked happy again. You can see it. Every time he won a race, any time he was competitive, I mean, there's a reason why AJ's victory lane celebrations are always one of the are always one of if not the best victory lane celebrations or just winning celebrations ever, because you can feel the passion. So what about this season, 2022? How has he done again? Well, he's full time again with Colic, and so far this year he's basically picked up right where he left off. Four wins, 25 top tens. Regular season champion once again, and he's again another championship favorite. While I didn't pick him to make the Final Four, I'm looking very idiotic not choosing him to pick the Final Four, I could say that. But it's not just been Xfinity. 
He's still won part-time. He's returned to the Cup Series in the 2021 season, running part-time with Cauley. And how has he done in 2021 in his five starts? Well, for a part-time Cup Series program and colleague, he had three top tens, two top fives, and won the inaugural race at the Indianapolis Road Course. I know that race, you know, had a lot of, you know, shenanigans, for lack of a bet, for lack of a more appropriate term, I should say. But still, AJ won a cup race. No one saw that coming. And you saw the excitement from AJ, from Matt Collier, from everybody on that team. So, to me, it's a no-brainer that AJ would go back to the Cup Series in 2023, running full-time again with Colling. Because, folks, the Cup Series is going to get a new AJ Allmendinger in 2023. One who is accustomed to winning. He rarely had that with JTG. Yeah, he had that win at Watkins Glen, but other than that, he was never in contention, let's be honest here. So you're going to have one who's been accustomed to winning, who's been accustomed to being a championship fight. Now, do I think he's going to be in the championship conversation with colleague, especially in this first year? Absolutely not. You have a driver who now knows what that feels like, who has that mindset to go out and win a championship. You don't think AJ's going to bring that to colleague, even if they run at best 10th? That's still going to help elevate the program. And you know AJ and Matt Colling, they know that as well. You have a motivated AJ Allmendinger. Again, do you think that in 2018 when AJ was leaving the Cup Series, he would think he'd go back to it in five years? I guarantee he'd say no. In fact, I guarantee he'd say I'd never want to touch a Cup Series car again. But now, like I said, a new motivated AJ Allmendinger to go out and perform at his best. And an AJ that feels like he's at home. I mean, did he, it ever really sound like he felt at home when he was with JTG Doherty? No. I mean, Chris Buescher, when he was with JTG, he it felt like Chris Buescher was more the priority than AJ Allmendinger more times than not. But here at Colley, AJ feels at home, the team wants him there, and in fact, it was announced it was a multi-year deal, and basically, it was Chris Rice coming out and saying that AJ can stay here as long as he wants. If he only wants to be here one year, it's only one year. If he wants to stay here until he's 60, he can stay here until he's 60. So AJ has a lifetime contract. You know what that tells me? That's a driver that feels like he's at home. So how will AJ do next year in the Cup Series? How will the 2023 AJ Allmendinger look running that 16 car? And really, there's two questions. And these are, in my opinion, the two important questions. Number one, will he make the playoffs? I think he'll be in contention to make the playoffs. I think he'll be in the conversation. But I don't think it's a guarantee. You know, people who are saying that, oh, he's going to definitely win a road course race. He'll definitely be in contention in a super speedway. Lock him in, pencil him in to make the playoffs. So you're telling me I have to put A.J. Allmendinger in the same conversation as guys like Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson, you know, Denny Hamlin, Christopher Bell. I have to put A.J. Allmendinger in that same conversation as guarantees to make the playoffs. When you put it that way, then you start to scale back a little bit. Again, I think he'll be in the conversation, but that's not a guaranteed. Which brings me to my next question, which ties right into it, and it is, do I think AJ will win a race next year? I mean, we got six road course races, one of them being a street course race. AJ's the only driver in the Cup Series, I think besides Austin Sindrick, though I'm not sure if he has had any street course experience. 
So will AJ Allmendinger win a race next year? If you ask me right now, it is 326 in the afternoon on October 6, 2022. If you ask me right now, do I think he will win a race in 2023? No. I do not think AJ would win a race. And it really comes down to one thing. Do I think he can? Absolutely. Do I think he'll have being contention? Absolutely. But let's use the Charlotte Roval for example. AJ is currently, you know, he's currently on the entry list to race the 16 car at the Charlotte Roval. Would you pick AJ Allmendinger to win the Roval race this Sunday? Most likely you wouldn't. You'd probably pick a Tyler Reddick, a Chase Elliott, a Kyle Larson, but you wouldn't pick AJ Allmendinger. Maybe it's a long shot, but not as a definite pick. And in my opinion, I really don't see that changing next year. Especially when all the full-time guys are going to have a four years worth of Cup Series experience under this, with this car under their belts. Meanwhile, AJ would have half of that experience. But he is in his early 40s. I believe these are 41, 42. So that just overall racing experience could come and help benefit him. But AJ will be competitive. I mean, we had 19 winners this year. Anything is possible. But this is truly... The story of A.J. Allmendinger, especially these past eight to nine years, has truly been a rags-to-riches storyline. From a driver who was, you know, at the time a little bit at a high, winning a cup race with JTG, to then being at the bottom of the barrel, hating his job, to now just a few years later, being at the best, at the peak of his ability as he's ever been, going to cup series, and with a lot of hype around him, but most importantly, a driver who feels motivated and ready to go win a championship for his team that he could call home. Alright, so if there are two things that I believe people need to do before talking about something, just anything, it's the two things as follows. Number one, you always need to have context. Especially if you're going to try to start criticizing something or somebody, always make sure you have the context first, because if you don't have the context then you have a very good chance that once you find out what the context is, you're going to look like a complete buffoon. So always make sure you have context. And number two, if you're going to talk about doing something, make sure you're actually going to consider doing it and not just talking about it just for talk. Because then no one's going to trust you to actually count on you to do anything. So when Zach Brown, McLaren CEO, comes out and says that, we want Kyle Busch and a McLaren for the Indy 500 next year. That is definitely going to be on our bulletin board. And then he comes out just a week later and says, Oh, now, yeah, that thing I said before, yeah, scratch that. We want someone with experience instead. So, that just makes no sense to me. I'm trying to come up with words to say, but it really just makes no sense to me. So, Racer.com reported just a couple days ago that Kyle Busch would not be in the 4th McLaren Indy 500 entry, but McLaren still won a 4th car. Which, that's a head-scratcher. It's like, okay, you made it sound like you were going to open up a 4th car just to get Kyle Busch. Now you don't want him, but you still want a 4th car. There's got to be a reason behind this. We need to find the... I, like, I, I, need to take my, I need to take my advice. Before I come out and start criticizing Zach Brown... I need to take my own advice. I need to find out what the context of his reasoning is before I can come up with, you know, my own conclusion. So what is Zach Brown's reasoning? Well, the reason Zach Brown gave is 
in his words, and I quote, We want to make sure that if we run a fourth car, we're in the mindset that we want someone that's experienced around the 500. Now, the main reason that he says is because he wants someone to help him help McLaren win the championship because the Indy 500 is so important for the championship because of double points. But, okay, that's your reasoning, Zach Brown. Okay, let's look at the experienced drivers that, in my opinion, have a realistic shot that McLaren could go out and get. Tony Kanaan. How did he do last year? Because we're going to use last year's stats as examples. Because I don't think they're going to come out and then and get a guy who hasn't raced in the 500 at least this year. So 2022, he's about as good as you could get. He finished on the podium, finishing third. So, I mean, they could get Tony Kanaan. I think that'd be great. But I don't think they're going to get Tony Kanaan. Why do I say that? Because he'll probably race for Ganassi next year in a part-time stint for IndyCar. Now, I think he did sign either he did sign a two-year extension. I'm not sure if that runs through the next year or if that ended this year. But regardless, I probably think that he would race with Ganassi again if he were to go to the Indy 500. That's number one. Number two, Tony's 47 years old. Next year he's going to be 48. So there's not even a guarantee that he's even going to be racing next year. I mean, how many rumors have we heard about that Tony Kanaan is going to retire entirely? Okay, Tony Kanaan's probably the best option, but it's highly unlikely they'll go get they'll able to get Tony Kanaan. So who are your options? Well, Pablo Matoy? I mean, he ran in the part-time third car this year in Indy. How did he do? Well, he finished 11th, not even inside the top 10. He qualified 30th, so he made up spots, but still didn't finish top 10. And he was mostly a non-factor. He was nowhere in contention to win that race. Okay, so Juan Pablo, he's not even going to be a factor, though they might just pick him up instead. Anybody else? There's Marco Andretti, though you know he if he does race again, he's going to race for his team, Andretti Autosport. So you have three dri- so you have three drivers. One of them is not even a guarantee. The other one is not even going to happen because he'll race for his own team. And the third one, the second one I mentioned. He wasn't even a factor in the race. But, let me put it through another, you know, through my lens. Because again, I'm an outsider. I don't know the ins and outs of IndyCar, so I'm not even sure if this really constructors championship in terms of like, you know, all teams. Or if it's like NASCAR, which is individual teams. But, let's say this. Okay, Zach, you want to focus on winning the championship. You have three drivers to count on you for the title. And let's be, you got Felix Rosenquist, Alexander Rossi, and Padua Ward. You got your lead dog in Padua Ward, who's been in pretty decent championship contention these past couple years. Rossi, who looks like he's starting to have a career resurgence after having, after having a couple years as a dud. And then you got Felix Rosenquist, who's finally looking like he's starting to make IndyCar his own, having a great second half of the season. So, you have three drivers to count on for the title. And it makes even less sense when that fourth and McLaren car likely will be a true contender anyways. I mean, let's be honest here. Juan Pablo Montoya, I have a prime example from this year. He wasn't even a contender. So what makes you think that fourth car, who probably won around 15th to 10th all day at best, is going to help you win the championship? 
You have three drivers to count on. Focus on those three drivers for the championship, not on a one-off fourth car. Okay, so if we're going off of that, it would then make more sense to bring in Kyle Busch. Because while Kyle Busch maybe wouldn't be as competitive, he probably won't be a factor in that fourth McLaren car, he would sp still bring so much external value to a ride that people will forget about otherwise. Folks, if they go in and get Juan Pablo Montoya again, even if they manage to get Tony Kanaan, no one's going to care about the fourth McLaren car. They're probably going to forget that that car is even in the race. If you put Kyle Busch in that car, it'll bring so much hype and external value to that fourth entry. Probably more hype than even Rossi or Felix Rosequist entries. And Zach Brown definitely cares about the commercial value and big storylines. You can't tell me he doesn't. You don't believe me? Look at the drivers he's been trying to get. Oscar Piastri, Colton Herta, Alexander Rossi, Alex Pillow. You can't tell me that he does not care about big storylines and external value. He truly does. But this to me feels like a complete missed opportunity by McLaren. And not just a missed opportunity, but McLaren just looked like, once again, for I'm sorry to you, but for lack of a better term, they just look like fools. Because in my opinion, there's no good reason not to put Kyle Busch in the car. You said you were going to consider it, and then you turn around and say that's you don't even want it. The fourth car is not going to really help you with the championship. Let's be honest. It didn't help Paddle with Ward or Felix Rosenquist this year, and they had one less car. So a fourth car isn't going to help them. You're losing on a lot of external value. And in my opinion, it's just a missed opportunity. For my opinion, no real good reason. Alright, you guys know what time it is now. It is time for my favorite segment of the week. Best bets and picks of the week. If you guys don't know how this works, I have two separate picks. My pick to win the race, and then I'll go on betting sites, 9 times out of 10, it's on DraftKings Sportsbook, and I'll pick my favorite bet to place to win the race, my least favorite bet to win the race, and my favorite out-of-the-box bet to win the race. So, we got two races to discuss today. We got the Cup Series race at the Charlotte Oval, and the Formula 1 race at Japan for, you know, the Japanese Grand Prix. So with that, let us begin by talking about F1 at Japan. Well, Max Verstappen is the favorite by minus 190. Now, you guys have been listening to the show for any period of time. You know my golden rule when it comes to betting on races. If a driver is favored to win in the negatives, in the minuses, you take that 9 times out of 10. I know I took Verstappen last week, and he really didn't do all that hot. Granted, it was Singapore, it's not really the easiest track in the world to make passes, and let's be honest here folks, Sergio Perez just ran away with it. However, I'm still going to stick by my theme of my rule, and that is I think Max Verstappen is going to win the race, and he's my favorite bet to place for the race at minus 190. Why do I say that? Because it's Max Verstappen. You literally need to basically handicap him in order for him to not win. That's all I need to say. Let's move on. My least favorite bet to place for this race is going to go to the driver with the second best odds, and that's Charles Leclerc. And this was alarming to me. Usually Leclerc is my favorite bet to place because I, I usually feel like him and Verstappen are on equal footing when they both, both have the same car under them, essentially. However, after that Singapore Grand Prix, 
I don't know if I'm going to put LeClerc too many more times. And it's pretty simple. If LeClerc couldn't go out and beat Sergio Perez when LeClerc was on pole, I know Perez had a better, you know, entry into turn one given, you know, it's wet conditions. But if LeClerc had no shot at beating Sergio Perez, who's been pretty disappointing ever since he won the Monaco Grand Prix, if LeClerc couldn't go out and beat Sergio, I can't count him to go out and beat a guy like Max Verstappen. So that's why Leclerc at plus 380 is my least favorite bet to place. However, my out-of-the-box pick, and I believe this is the first time in a while I'm picking him as my out-of-the-box pick, that is Sergio Perez. Because Singapore, my knock on Sergio Perez and why I put him a lot of times on my least favorite bet is that if I don't count on him beating Verstappen, I think Verstappen's untouchable, and I think if there's any driver that's not going to be able to beat Verstappen, it's his own teammate. However, if Singapore proved one thing is that if Verstappen is having problems, Perez has now proven that he can go up and pick up the pieces that Verstappen has left. I mean, Sergio went out and let every single lap that race, and no one was going to be close to touching it. So, I think Sergio proved himself. I think he's got himself out of that category of, you know, kind of, of kind of, you know, just being just there along for the ride in terms of Red Bull. I think he is now going to be considered a true race contender. So that is why Sergio Perez is my favorite out-of-the-box bet at plus 1,000. And finally, talking about the Cup Series race at the Charlotte Roval, where Chase Elliott is the favorite to win the race at plus 500. Now, who is my pick to win the race? My pick to win the race is going to be the driver with the best odds to win the race, and that is Chase Elliott. Really because Chase has nothing to lose. I mean, think about it. He's locked into the next round. No one else is, so everyone else, especially because the highest is Lagana, I believe, plus 32. So he might be the only other driver who might be, you know, taking it conservatively. But all the other 10 drivers are going to be, you know, you know, being either aggressive or playing it safe. Chase can do whatever he wants. He can go out and just flat out win the race. So I think because of that mindset and because of that ability that he can now do that, that is why Chase Elliott is my pick to win the race. However, he's not my favorite bet to place for this race. I know I said that I would have picked this driver to win the race on Sunday. However, with his betting odds, I do like them. And I think that if you were to bet on this driver, it would be the best bet that you could place. And that is A.J. Allmendinger. Like, listen, I would personally take guys like Larson, Elliott, and even Reddick over A.J. Allmendinger in terms of straight up winning the race. But A.J. at plus 1,200 odds when he's probably going to be a top five pick to win, I think those are great odds. So at plus 1,200, I would definitely take AJ, and that is my favorite bet to place to win the race. But on the flip side of things, my least favorite bet for this race is going to go to the driver with the same odds as AJ Allmendinger, and that is Denny Hamlin. Listen, Toyota has been terrible on road courses. They were okay at the Indy road course, but nothing flashy. They were okay at Watkins Glen, but nothing flashy. When the highest Toyota is probably going to finish around 8th to ninth at a road course, that is not something to be proud of or something to, you know, really throw up my mind and say, I want to bet on that guy. And Denny Hamlin at plus 1,200, I know he's a good road racer, but he's in a Toyota, and as long as Toyota has been struggling, I would defer from betting on any Toyotas, including Denny Hamlin at plus 1,200. And my favorite out-of-the-box pick is going to go to the driver who would just penalize 100 driver and owner's points, and that is Kevin Harvick. 
I know the memes are that Kevin Harvick is usually scared of the Louisville because of what happened last year with Chase Elliott. However, I feel like this team is going to be motivated, especially after that penalty, to go out and prove all the naysayers wrong. Harvick is usually pretty good at road courses. He nearly won Sonoma. He'll probably be in contention at the Louisville. And at plus 2,500 odds for a driver who has a great shot to win, probably a better shot than AJ Allmendinger, that is my favorite out-of-the-box pick. Pencil it in for Kevin Harvick at plus 2,500. And that's going to put episode 90 of the Motorsport Ministry in the books. Only 10 episodes to go before we hit that triple-digit episode 100 mark. We got something excited and planned out for that, so stay tuned. You will not want to miss it. But thank you guys so much for listening once again. If you guys want to listen to all previous episodes of the Motorsport Ministry, you can find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and Amazon Music. You can find our entire back catalog on those major platforms. Once again, thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time.